Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is The Enthusiasm Project, Season 11, Episode 6. And today we are going to try something new, something a little different that I haven't done before in what I'm uh, very originally calling a community podcast. And I'll explain what that means and all the super fun, interesting stuff that we'll be talking about today. I'm actually really excited about this idea, so I hope you like it too. It should be a ton of fun. Before that, though, gear talk, as always, very important. Uh, Last week, I was using the secret microphone, which is still secret until this week as I'm posting this this episode, so I can't reveal it right now, Uh, but you should know by, if you're listening to this the day I share it, uh, you should know tomorrow or maybe the day after. Uh, So that means next week's podcast episode, I can finally actually talk about it, and I'll be having a video about it too, because it's it's kind of an interesting one, Um, and that's that's a cool thing. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, there's a new mic that came out. I got a really cool new piece of gear this week that I was excited about. Canon announced some new stuff, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to do an episode where I sort of just talk about a few different things, and then I realized, why reinvent the wheel? Oh, I didn't even talk about gear. <laughs> I'm not good at this. Uh, yeah, I'm using the SM7B today, running into the Rodecaster Pro 2 on my SM7B preset. At least I think I have my preset turned on. I do. Um, and I since I had my whole situation with the SM7DB a little while ago, I feel like I've really been rediscovering my appreciation for the SM7B, and I've just enjoyed using it so much more now, but I realized that my appreciation comes from using the SM7B with EQ applied. If I'm not using any EQ, like if I turn this, well, I don't need to play with everything, but if I even go to just sort of a neutral setting, uh, this I just don't like quite as much on my voice. But once I did this and dialed in my own custom preset, I felt like the mic really started to shine in a cool way and gave me a new appreciation for it. Uh, It just means I need to be very selective about what interfaces I use it with. Like I, when we do the couples table, I don't want to take this and just plug it into the Focusrite that's in Heather's studio because then it's just going to be the default SM7B sound. And and that's, I'm not into that as much, but an EQ'd SM7B, I like quite a bit. So that's what I'm using today. And then uh, as I was saying, the, rather than reinventing the wheel, one of my, favorite podcast, probably my most listened to podcast is called Talking Simpsons. And it's largely supported through Patreon. So that's, I'm a patron of them. And it's really cool because you have like the, it's a, it's an episode, a chronological exploration of every Simpsons episode, basically some episodes, even multiple times. And it's so good. It's been going on for so many years. Um, But if you go to their Patreon, then you also get access to um, some other like Patreon only podcasts where they have like a whole mini series on King of the Hill and Futurama. And um, once a month, there's like cartoon movies. It's like there's so much cool stuff. And I really love it. And one thing that they do over there is which is also on the free feed as well, is at the end of every month, they do what they call a community podcast, where they basically go through the episodes that came out that month and they reply to comments that were posted about them. They talk about, you know, they go through kind of like related news to the world of podcasting and then they just kind of share what's up in their lives. Like the hosts just share what's going on in their lives, what they're interested in. I was like, you know, that's kind of cool. It's almost like a, it's almost like a podcast vlog, a vlog cast. And 
maybe I want to try something like that. So I'm going to try that today because everything I want to talk about was such a hodgepodge and I just couldn't really find ways to fit it into other more focused episodes. But I think maybe having a community episode once a season would be a really fun way to sort of touch base in a more casual, not that the podcasts are formal, but in a more personal way where uh, it's not always focused so much on one specific topic. So that's what I'm going to try today. I hope you enjoy it. I'm excited about it. And that's uh, that's what we're going to be doing. So uh, let's just jump right into some things that are happening right now or some things that, that you're unaware of. Uh, I do want to talk about the message board that I put together last summer, which I've mentioned a little bit. See, this is why this is nice is because there's things I just sort of mention offhand in other episodes, but now I can actually, you know, spend a little more time on them. So I had a Discord server for uh, people signed up to my Patreon and YouTube channel memberships because Discord is so easy to integrate to those things and it's so popular, but it just, it doesn't work. Discord causes discord in my brain. I just can't follow the discussions that well. I can't, I, there's, it's just, it doesn't work for me. Like I've tried, I'm a member of a bunch of servers and it just never quite clicks for me. The thing that really does click for me is just an old school PHP BB message board from like the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Those were like my favorite part of the internet. They're chronological feeds. They're super searchable. There's no algorithms. It's just, you know, discussions in order, basically. And uh, they're really, really cool. And so I decided to build one this past summer, which was an absolute pain. It was a really fun project, but I realized why why it's so much easier to just create a discord server it takes like 20 seconds this took like a week to just get the thing like even at all functional usable and then like testing it and stuff Uh, but it was really fun for me it's not necessarily something i would recommend for everybody but for me it was really great and i enjoyed it quite a bit and it's been up and running i think we're we're upwards of 50 members but anyone who's uh, who signed up for Patreon or YouTube channel memberships or one of my courses gets access to the message board. And there are like different sections for those things. So, you know, uh, channel supporters have their own section. Each course has its own section. If you're in multiple things, like you signed up for Patreon and enrolled in a course, you get into, you know, both sections there. So it's it's a really cool thing, especially for the courses, because rather than having a Discord um, not that there's like a ton of stuff there yet, but as it continues to grow, then it's it's a really cool searchable database of like a knowledge base related to the course topic. So I figure that's really helpful too. Um, and another thing too is even though people come and go through Patreon and channel memberships and things, I don't delete members. So once, you, once you've signed up, if you decided to go create an account at the message board, um, even if you ended up you know, leaving the channel support or whatever, for whatever reason, you still have access to the message board if you want it. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun place. And uh, you can go to HiMyNameIsTom.com and there's a thing forum right at the top and you can see what it looks like, but it's only available to, you need a password to register and you only get that password when you sign up for a course or sign up for channel memberships. But it's super fun. It has been great. Um, but it also has been a really good reminder of like the, the modern world is just not, people love it. Like the people who have joined have said really great things. And a lot of people feel similar to me where like they miss message boards. And so it's a very specific kind of person who enjoys that. Um, but the way I'm hosting it, 
my website's hosted on Squarespace. Unfortunately, you can't create a PHP database. You don't have like access to your root file server on Squarespace. It's never really been an issue to me until now. So I had to sign up for another hosting site specifically for the message board that would let me create the PHP database to install all the message board files and stuff, which is really cool because it's it also means though that it's not even like a Discord where I'm creating it on someone else's thing. It's 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 my installation of these files, customized and configured specifically on the server space that you know I'm paying for for my web. So it's completely like other than having a server running out of our house, literally, it's as much like soup to nuts owned by me as anything possibly could be. So, you know, there's zero data collection. There's other than you have to, you know, submit your email to sign up, but nothing happens with anything. There's there. It's just, it's so nice. It's so simple, you know, and I love that. Um, but it's funny because a problem that I've been having, which I think I solved is the whole, the whole message board relies on this one file. When you create a website, you upload files to a server space and, you know, that's that's kind of how everything is accessed. And there's one file for the message board called index.php. And that is the main index that goes to the message board. The host that I'm using, they really want everyone to build websites with WordPress. I'm not building, I'm only using this hosting as for the message board, which is then linked as a subdomain on my website. So it's like, that's all I'm using it for. Nothing else is there. Definitely no WordPress. Although WordPress is great, nothing, nothing against it. But the, they keep automatically updating their version of WordPress. And every time they do, for some reason, they overwrite the index.php file on the server with a word. And it, so then you go to the message board and it's just a like a WordPress template for like some fashion blog. <laughs> you know, like it's like a sample website. So it's not even a real website, but it's like pictures of pants and, and clothes and stuff. And then, but it still says like, AV lab message board. It makes no sense. And it's completely unusable. It's happened like three times now where they update their thing. It overwrites my index file with this weird template thing. So I always check the message board every day to make sure it's still up and running. I think I have fixed it. It's luckily the first time it happened, it took a really long time to fix. And I thought the message board had been nuked forever. Fortunately, all I have to do once I realized what this problem was, is I just take you know, the backup of my index file, overwrite their updated file that they overwrote my file with, and then everything is fine. And now I think I have been able to like delete all the WordPress stuff off of my hosting area, turn off all auto updates, which shouldn't happen anymore. Uh, But it was definitely scary. But that was just kind of a funny thing. So anyway, uh, the message board is there. That's really cool. As I mentioned earlier in, in previous episodes, I've been really trying to hone in on like the patreon slash channel membership thing i just call it channel supporters because to me they're it's one and the same it's just which platform do you prefer if if you wanted to show support you know whichever one you prefer is the easiest and that has been going pretty good when i started being more active on there again it was almost a little discouraging because every time i would post or share something people would like leave which is fine. Like I, if you're, if you're a member of that stuff and you need to leave or stop showing support, totally fine. You don't need to, you don't need to explain yourself. You don't need to justify it. You're free to leave at any time. 
But every time I was like, wow, I'm going to, you know, provide a lot more stuff for everyone who's gone out of their way to support me. And every time I did it, the reaction was just people leaving and unsubscribing. Because um, I think what happened was people had signed up. They forgot they were signed up. And then when I share stuff, they get a notification that's like, oh, Tom just shared this thing. And they're like, oh, wait, I'm still doing that? Cancel. <laughs> um, and I think that has now, I think that purge has happened of people who forgot they were supporting and don't want to anymore. And now it's kind of building up again. Um, it, it is actually quite helpful. The thing in my mind is I always think, and I, I honestly don't know if it could ever get to this point, but if it were able to get where like Patreon and YouTube channel members were like a $5,000 a month or more revenue source, which is a lot right now, it has grown to the highest it's ever been combined between the two and it's $600 a month. So not quite 500, but 600 is insane. Like people going out of their way to support stuff that's unreal and the cool thing about it is, even though it, it it was, you know, sort of a a little bit of a pain point when those people would leave and stuff, it's designed to accommodate that because it's not, it's not one thing, you know, many hands make light work. So it, people can come and go naturally and it doesn't completely devastate or obliterate something. And it's, uh, you know, I'm going to talk in a minute about some scheduling changes I've made. And it's interesting the freedom that I feel would come with the the different approach to running a channel and things that would come with being mostly supported through through Patreon and YouTube channel memberships. And even going back to, you know, Talking Simpsons, that's 100% how their podcast is supported. It's two people who've been doing it full time for years, along with they have a staff of editors and stuff. And it's like, I'm just one guy. I just want to just want to just want to support one one guy here. Um but also do so in a way where I can afford, you know, like to pay my bills and health insurance and build the savings and, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. Um, not just live like a, a starving artist under a bench. And then anything else is icing on the cake. You know, YouTube ad revenue, all that kind of stuff is just icing on the cake. In addition then to having courses and things. So it's it's a really exciting thing that even exists. And where it's at now is uh, the most it's ever been and mind-blowing to me and I'm incredibly appreciative of that and to everybody Um, and I'd really like to keep growing it because it's just to me it's like the it's it seems like one of the best ways to genuine creative freedom as a creative person I love the stuff I love having courses and things to offer as well because those are you know it, it you're giving me money in exchange for something and you get it's not I mean, support, I guess you get stuff in return as well. But when you when you buy a course, you know, you give money and you enroll in a course, you get lifetime access to a, a knowledge source of of a topic. And that's that's super cool, too. Um, but that also then involves the maintenance, creation, upkeep, support of a course that's which is a, a, almost a full time thing in and of itself compared to being supported to be creative and make the stuff that you want to make in a way that's not reliant on a corporation and ad revenue and weird stuff like invalid traffic bugs and all the things that we've talked about. So I'm really excited about that. Um, It's been great. The message board has been super fun. And that has been, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. So anyway, that's, that's something there. I also wanted to share a comment that I got yesterday because sometimes we talk about, you know, comments on YouTube and things being scary or sometimes negative or whatever it might be. And 
I would I would like I think for future community uh, podcasts I'm going to collect a batch of comments to reply to not unlike a Q&A episode but maybe a little bit different um, but for this one I just wanted to share one because I thought this was interesting if you know my channel it's been around for six and a half years since 2017 six and a half years at this point um, and you know I've thought sometimes maybe I should private some of my old videos because they're completely unrelated to what the channel is now. There's like a whole bunch of old vlogs and 3D printing stuff and weird experimental things, but I never have and I don't want to because I like having the whole thing there to be seen. I I know from a YouTube strategy standpoint, that's probably not great because someone's going to, you know, come to a recent review for a GoPro or a a microphone or, or a live streaming thing or a podcasting thing. And then the next video that they see on my channel could be just some random vlog from six years ago. Like, you know, it's not a, it's not so cohesive, but I really like that. Not only is it there for my reference, but anybody could go to the channel, go to the videos, go to the oldest ones and see me figuring it out from day one to now. Like it's, it's all there. And I, I I think there's something kind of special about that. You know, I like that you can go to MKBHD's channel and see his old videos of him as a kid in his parents' house, you know, talking about tech gear on a crummy old webcam. And then you can see him now in a New York City studio with a whole team of production people behind him. Like, it's very, very cool. And so I like that. But I got a comment from my third, I think it's my third video I ever made on my channel and it was it was sort of an interesting one because when I started my channel um it was such a it was after like a really funky personal time and a lifetime of feeling like an outsider and someone who didn't belong somewhere and finally like giving myself the permission to make something and put myself out there and try to connect with people in a bigger way was a really big deal, even though, you know, of course the channel had no subscribers, no one was watching the videos because it's brand new. Um, And I had no idea where it was going to go when I started that, but it was a really cool thing. And so I made this video that tried to explain that, but it's basically just text on screen. Like it's not even a voiceover, it's just sort of text on screen kind of explaining my message. Um, The video is called You Belong, and it's from, it's a lot of stuff that like, I wish I could have heard when I needed to hear it and it wasn't there. And somebody, you know, nobody watches. This is an old, old short video that is just text on screen. (laughs) It's, you know, it's pretty, pretty basic. Um, But I got a comment on it, a really long one the other day that kind of entirely made my day. And this is from someone who found this video through you know, one of my current videos, not, it wasn't randomly recommended to them. And so here's the comment. Uh, it says, the way I got to this video was, I've been deep diving today to resolve a feeling I have of being an unnecessary member of my media production team. Despite having a PhD in media psychology, I feel largely useless and I had a breakdown about it. So I came inside and decided to distract myself to distract myself by learning everything I can about our equipment. So this is Tom talking now. This is a person who, despite all kinds of qualifications and experience, they're part of a media production team and they feel unnecessary, um, you know, like not not a real part of the team. They were 
really feeling down about it and decided, okay, to try to conquer these feelings, I'm just going to gain even more knowledge and more experience to be more valuable and learn everything we can about our equipment. So then they go on to say, I watched a few videos with reviews and then I started watching a few others and I realized I was seeing some Aquabats posters. (laughs) So of course, I looked to your bio, which I read thoroughly before coming to the My Obsession with the Aquabats video. Uh, That's a video I, I had made, another like old vlog video I had made, which immediately says to come to this video. To this video, which made me cry again, but for the first time today in a good way, I feel seen and I feel like I'm not alone. And that is definitely what I needed today. So thank you for the deep dive, for the universe, Tom, for being here. You now have a lifelong Alaskan fan. How incredible is that? Like, and that, I mean, I I just, there's nothing bigger than that. Then that is really cool that something I made years ago that has not, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many views that video even has now, but it's not a lot, um, And still to this day, right, that's the power of YouTube, to this day is still, uh, like, is still able to to provide something valuable to someone and to, it just means so much to me. And I think that that's also a cool, a cool reminder of keeping this kind of stuff up. Because if my channel was just a bunch of product reviews and tutorials, that could be a cool resource, but it's going to be a lot harder for someone to to connect with that and to to feel something from that. Okay, this video is six years old and has 287 views. <laughs> so uh, that is, it's not my least viewed video on my channel, but it's like, must be one of my top five, top 10 least viewed videos on the channel. And it can still have that kind of impact on somebody. That is absolutely amazing. And the fact that they also then went out of their way to tell me about it is just, completely unreal so I appreciate that so much and that just those are those are really cool reminders in a world of like you know negativity and negative comments and harsh feedback and feeling like you're making stuff that might not even make a difference or be seen anywhere that I thought was just a really incredible reminder of what's actually you know I've sort of a different way of looking at it that's super cool uh, shifting gears a little bit. Something that Heather and I have been doing lately is we've been back at the couples table uh, doing that podcast live every week. And that has been going great. And it's been super fun. Like speaking of connections, it's been super fun to reconnect with everybody over there. We have been fairly consistent about doing it every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time over on her channel, which is youtube.com slash Heather Just Create. But one of the things, especially me, um, going back into it, I didn't want like, I didn't want a thing on my calendar that would end up taking over, even though it's something we want to prioritize, even though it's, I just didn't want, I wanted the freedom if we needed to miss a day, it wasn't going to like cause a bunch of stress. If we needed to do something on a different day, it's no big deal. The problem with that is it's a live stream and people like joining. And so they, they miss out on the live stream a little bit. So, um, one of the things that Heather did was we put together a mailing list that is only used for updates for the couples table. And um, that has been incredibly, incredibly helpful because you don't get any, you don't get any spam. You don't get anything like that. Basically, you're just sort of added into this small group of people who want, who want to um, have access to info about the couples table. And all you do is every week you get 
um, you just get a notification to like, hey, this is when this episode's going to go live. That's pretty cool. And and that's pretty much it. So um, if you want to join that mailing list, the easiest way to do it is to go to heatherjustcreate.com slash podcast, heatherjustcreate.com slash podcast, and you can sign up there. And all it's going to be is probably about once a week, usually at least 24 hours in advance. You just get an email that says like, hey, couples table, you know, this time, this date, here's a link. See you there. It's very basic. <laughs> um, but it's been helpful and people have said they appreciate it. So if you want to not, if you want to join in on that live stream and not miss it, which has been weekly for a while, that's a cool way to do that. Now, another thing, something, this, this is the hodgepodge of the community podcast is one thing I was going to talk about initially when I was uh, putting together this episode, and it was going to be about gear and product releases is a very exciting piece of gear that I just got this week. One of the most exciting pieces of gear I've gotten in recent memory. And honestly, I think the last time I felt this way about a piece of gear was the ATEM Mini. And the thing I'm talking about is the Elgato Prompter. Elgato recently announced and released a teleprompter, and I ordered it as soon as I saw it. Even though I was like, you know, I'm not 100% like, oh, I need a teleprompter, but it just sort of seemed interesting. I ordered it. It got here this week. It is one of the coolest things ever and like a genuine game changer. I need to spend a lot more time with it, obviously, before I'll, I'm sure I'll make a review on it because it's so cool. But this thing is insane. I'm looking at it right now. And it is so the thing with teleprompters, like I have put together all kinds of teleprompters over the years, over many years, and most of them are very big, heavy, complicated, and expensive. And then getting them to work as a prompter is usually difficult because you need to figure out a solution for a display and software. So it's not just even having this thing that like you can put your camera in that is essentially like a one-way mirror and you can you, you know, you can see a script or whatever on the screen and the camera can see you and it looks like you're looking into the camera while you're reading something or looking at something else. It's getting that to happen is very difficult because finding a screen is tough. A lot of prompters, I made a video. The last one I owned personally was the Glidegear TMP100, which I did a video about like five years ago. And that was kind of like the best at-home prompter for a long time, sort of up until now. It's a very heavy-duty, big, clunky prompter, but it's it's almost like a dumb prompter. It's just metal and glass, and then you put a tablet or a phone or something in it as a screen, and that's what you work with. But then you have to find software to either play a script back or do whatever, and whatever software you're using has to have the ability to mirror itself because you're reading off a mirrored surface, so you can't just put a phone there, everything's gonna be backwards. You have to be able to mirror it, which is tricky. A lot of people use small camera monitors, you know, like little uh, field monitors for cameras and production and stuff, because a lot of those do have the ability to be flipped and mirrored, but not all of them do. And then that's tricky because you have to power that. So you have to power this monitor, then you have to usually find some way to connect it to a computer as an output and then figure out your software situation. And that's why as useful as teleprompters are, it's hard to like, it's hard to recommend them. It's hard to get set up because that process is no fun. 
And then it becomes this thing that like once you've got it set up, the last thing you want to do is move it, dismantle it, take your camera out of it, anything like that. So it's like you almost need a dedicated camera to just be in the teleprompter and it's rough. And it seems like every few months somebody on YouTube, especially in the camera space, comes out with like the best version of a prompter they can cobble together. Like here's how I did it and it's, you know, they piece together these things to try to make it as simple as possible, but nothing has ever really clicked. And Elgato, I think, solved this problem. Harris Heller um, made a video on Senpai Gaming, changed his channel name, about it. And what he was asking was, is the Elgato prompter Apple enough to be popular? And what he meant was that Apple can take these things that are very complicated and frustrating and make them simple and accessible to most people. Is that something Elgato has been able to do with this? And I think that they have. It's something that like, okay, let's put it this way. As soon as I got mine and set it up, Heather ordered one. Heather doesn't buy new gear. She doesn't care about gear. She The last thing she wants to do is change or modify her setup. And as soon as, she, like before I even had it fully set up, she was like on the order page ordering it. It's that good. That is the ringing endorsement right there. So what they've done that's different is the teleprompter itself, one is, is affordable. It's $280, I think is the price. Um, that's not much more expensive than the Glide Gear one I had that was just metal and glass and nothing else. And if you've ever tried to buy like, quote unquote, real teleprompters, the cheapest, smallest ones are usually like 1500 bucks up to 2000 $3,000 for some pretty basic ones, like the ones I used to have in uh, the broadcast studio at my classroom that I used to teach in. Those were, I think, $2,000 prompters. And, you know, they had like a built-in screen and stuff. But wow, what a what a nightmare connecting them and dealing with software and everything. So for $280, you get the Elgato prompter, which is small, but not teeny tiny. It's not like one of those tiny ones. It's like iPhone size. It's almost too small to, to use. And it has a built-in screen. So it has a nine-inch display. So the mirror is about nine inches. It's like the perfect size for a home office setup. It's a very lightweight. The screen that it comes with, I was shocked, is really nice. Like it's super bright and super clear. The only thing I want to figure out is the color temperature doesn't match my monitor. So I need to like color calibrate it or figure something out. Um, So I wouldn't use it for like color accuracy or color correction, but otherwise it's great. Um, And I think you can adjust those things. I just haven't done that yet. And the prompter itself is super light. It comes with everything you need. This is where Elgato kind of has you covered because they're taking something like a prompter that is going to need to work with such a weird variety of tripods and cameras and all this stuff and it just comes out of the box with everything that you need whether you're using a webcam and a phone or a full-on cinema camera and a big beefy tripod and stuff like you can connect it and make it work and the simplest way the way I've done it is you can just mount it to the lens of your camera because if you have a, a camera with interchangeable lenses It comes with every size step-up ring that you can need. It comes with like this cardboard book of step-up rings and you just put that on your lens and then the the prompter kind of slides over the metal ring and that's it. And I was worried that it's going to put too much pressure on like the the mount of the camera, but it doesn't seem like it. I don't really think it's any more pressure than like, you know, some of the compact matte boxes and things that people put on cameras. So that's how I've done it. Uh, on my FX3 because I also have my mic mounted to my tripod and so I needed to make sure that I could still have that going around the prompter without getting in the way and it's great and there's no I didn't need 
anything else. It's perfect. Even my 24 millimeter lens doesn't show the prompter or anything. It doesn't negatively affect the image quality. Like there's something, some prompter I was using at one point really did change. It was almost like having a an ND filter or something over your lens. This, you can't even tell that it's there and then it works. And here is, aside from being affordable and small and lightweight and having a built-in screen, the last two great things, it requires one cable. It comes with a USB-C cable or you, you can use another one and that's it. That's what connects to your computer. That's what provides it power. And that's what also lets it act as a, a secondary or a tertiary display for your computer. One USB-C cable because it uses this stuff called, what's it called? It's display link. I think that's what it, yeah, display link. So what that means is it's able to act as an external display through USB. You don't need HDMI or uh, DisplayPort or anything. So even in a computer, like some of the, the Apple M1 computers that say they can't support more than one external monitor, this doesn't even count as an external monitor and you can you can use it and it works great. So it's basically just a tiny display. It's a nine inch display that gets added to your computer right out of the box without you doing anything, it's already mirrored. So as soon as you turn it on for the first time and look at it, everything is the correct orientation in the display. And then it's just a small display. You can drag whatever you want to it, which is great because the thing with prompters, which I think a lot of us, especially if you're listening to this, I'm sure you know, but sometimes it's not super intuitive. Prompters are traditionally known as being used for reading scripts. You know, you have words scrolling and you read through them. But they can also be used for so much else, especially in the world of video calls and things like being able to put a Zoom meeting up on the screen and just look at the person while you're talking to them and not kind of look off to the side, not whatever. Doing a live stream, being able to read comments without taking your eyes off the screen, all of that stuff is really big. And the final thing, like the final component that Elgato solved was good software that came with it. So it comes with software that will allow you to, I'm trying to open it so I can see everything. It allows you to kind of control everything, um, whether you're using the prompter as a display or a text thing. They're even implementing some native chat features. Right now it's Twitch only, but I'm hoping they do YouTube at the in the future where it will like just automatically dock your chat right there. So you can choose how you want to use it. And if you're using it for text, like a traditional prompter, it comes with, you know, all the, it comes with built-in software to, you know, copy and paste your script into it and format it however you want. But you can also make your script transparent. So if you wanted to monitor yourself and make sure you're still in frame, if you're reading a script while, you know, there's a, a team meeting or something and there's people watching, like you can see, you can kind of have that in the background as the words go on top of it. It is so cool. I've never seen that before in a prompter. And of course, because it's an Elgato thing, it's also compatible with uh, Stream Deck and Stream Deck Pedal and all that. So being able to, you know, control the prompter through those things, especially I have thought Elgato's pedal is like one of the most underrated things. And now it's like, now you can control a prompter with your feet. That is super cool. So this thing has just been unreal. They did such a good job with it. And it's, I'm really gaining... For me, Elgato is kind of the new road <laughs> where when I, you know, discovered road, it was like, wow, they just keep making these good products at reasonable prices that solve all these problems for me. 
I feel like that's, you know, between what I have, I have the cam link, the stream deck, the stream deck pedal, now the prompter plus the wave boom arm. Um, I think those are all, oh, Heather has the green screen. Everything is just like, it's right in that perfect, it's affordable, super practical and easy to use, but still well-made and like performs well. I, I can't even tell you how impressed I am. I mean, even right now, I didn't even realize this. I have a stream deck pedal below me running my camera, not that this is a video podcast, but I'm running my camera through a cam link with the Elgato prompter and my mic is mounted to the wave arm. Wow, that's that's kind of crazy. So anyway, that is like my crazy excited gear thing for the week. Um, and then I also, there was also some other gear that I got a little bit excited about. I have not been paying attention to the world of like camera releases lately that much um, because it seems like it's mostly just like how did Sony remix existing parts into a new camera this month has sort of been camera releases for a while. Um, but Canon made some announcements this week, which are very, very interesting. Um, one of which is a lens that I've actually been wanting for a long time, but didn't think would be possible to exist. So Canon announced a couple of new lenses. Um, they announced the RFS, so for their crop sensor mirrorless cameras, a 10 to 18 millimeter lens. That's like a nice replacement for an existing one. That's really cool. Uh, but for their full frame cameras, they announced this crazy telephoto, a 200 to 800 with like autofocus, which is a, is a whole thing. But the one I am so excited about is they updated the 24 to 105, but instead of F4, they made it 2.8 and it's a power zoom lens. So it's almost, almost like in the, the videos I make where I'm like, oh man, camcorders, like why are, isn't there a modern XL1? This isn't quite that, but this lens kind of gets, it's a super versatile lens now with power zoom and better low light. 24 to 105 is such a useful focal length, but being stuck at F4 a lot of the time can be very frustrating. That is super cool. Um, it's not something that's going to make me like switch back to Canon or anything, but I really like that they're doing this. And what was really neat is I was talking to a friend about this after the announcement came out. And he said that his thought was that he feels like he understands Canon's approach to their RF mount, which when I left Canon was, not, well, it's been around for a while now. I guess I left two or three years into the RF mount being a thing, which is a really great mount, but Canon was just like slow as heck releasing lenses for it. And then they limited third-party stuff. So it's like all those great Sigma and Tamron lenses or whatever that you might get for Canon cameras in the past. There's not going to be RF versions of those lenses because Canon wouldn't let people. And I think they finally are starting to change course on that, which is really dumb because it limits everything. And then like when I went over to Sony, they have every lens, like every lens. I like the quality of Canon lenses the most of like all the lenses, but... I go over to Sony. Sony themselves have every lens and the E-mount. Every lens works on every camera, whether it's crop sensor or full frame. Then you have all of the Sigma lenses. Then you have all of the Tamron lenses, which the Tamron lenses and the Sony lenses, they sort of complement each other in an interesting way because they're usually not duplicate focal lengths and, and specs. So it's like like my Tamron, what is it? My Tamron 20 to 40 f2.8 it's my favorite all-around vlogging lens. It's so good. It's so lightweight, super silent autofocus, super great image quality, f2.8 lens. It's, especially paired with the a7 IV, it's amazing. But what uh, my friend was talking about was that he thinks his, he thinks what he's 
what Canon seems to be doing with the RF mount is rather than just updating all of the existing lenses to RF versions, they're starting to take their time and push out sort of these weirder lenses that are doing something new and a little bit different with it. And I think that is really exciting. I think that's really exciting if you're a Canon user because you finally have access to some really cool lenses for a, a pretty penny. And I think that's exciting for everybody else because it's hard not to think that other companies and other manufacturers are going to want to sort of like jump in on this to stay competitive, I hope. So um, it's, it seems like, you know, Canon is hitting a stride with their mirrorless systems lately. Took them long enough. Uh, but that's a really exciting thing. And they also did a bunch of firmware updates, which is really, really cool. So I thought that was a really exciting bit of, uh, bit of, what am I talking about? Gear update. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, the last bit of like YouTube camera related news stuff that I wanted to go over today is a thing as a change to my YouTube schedule, kind of a follow up to an episode I did a while ago where I was explaining that I'm changing my entire YouTube strategy and for the first time not uploading on a weekly schedule. So I've done that for a few months now and I hate it. I do not like it at all. <laughs> um, I'm not saying it's bad. So if you, if you do that, it's not like you're doing anything wrong. For me, it doesn't work. Um, this is where I was thinking like, okay, if say there was a situation where I was independently wealthy or, you know, money from Patreon or whatever was stable and significant enough that the direct performance of my channel wasn't such a factor in like, can we pay bills and survive? <laughs> um, maybe I would stick with that. And if, if the, if I was essentially at a point where I could like happily, not because of something went wrong, but I could choose like, I'll never post on my channel again and that would be fine. So anything is a bonus, that kind of a thing. Like it absolutely does not matter. Um, then I might feel comfortable with the posting whenever situation, which is kind of how my second channel works. Like I'll post three times a week and then nothing for four months. Like it's just kind of when I can and I want to, then I do. And that, that actually feels great. For my main channel, which is my job, switching switching things to posting kind of whenever a video is ready, it didn't really have an impact on the channel's performance. Like it still seems like it grew at the same rate. There was an invalid traffic issue. That was a separate thing. Um, but otherwise, like it really didn't seem like it, it changed anything. Because I was still uploading videos. I wasn't going, I've not gone like a month or two or anything without a video. I don't know what that would do. But this didn't really change anything. It did let me create some videos that I could not have done within a week. Some of my favorite videos ever, like the XL1 video and the, the phone versus camera comparison video. I think those are some of my favorite videos I've ever made that I could never have done. I was trying to do things within a week. But something I learned, I learned the importance of staying true and just accepting your own personality because, you know, I have friends who will, with very successful channels who will say like, yeah, the worst thing you can do is have a set schedule. Like, don't do that. And I'm realizing that's not YouTube advice. That's what works for them and like their personalities. And they're so much different than my personality needs structure. And so even though I'm still making videos that I loved, even though the channel was still doing fine, that lack of structure and lack of like purpose in a way was creating so much stress and anxiety in a way that I really didn't, the, the last time this happened 
was a number of years ago when I tried to do the same thing, like not have an upload schedule. It really, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. It becomes very unpleasant. I start getting physically sick. It's it's not good. <laughs> um, and now that this is my full-time job, it's like imagine, you know, waking up in the morning and not being sure what your work schedule is going to be, what your responsibilities are going to be, what you need to accomplish that day. To ha- Like it's just too much uncertainty and too much ambiguity for me to function in. I realized how much structure and purpose drive me. But I also know that the reason I wanted to try this thing in the first place was because the the weekly schedule had reached a point where it was becoming limiting. So uh, starting this month in November, I've worked on a different strategy and I feel a lot better about it. It's sort of a hybrid between the two. So I did one end of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum, and now let's take, you know, Let's cherry pick the best things, smush them together in the middle. So what I'm trying starting this month is organized chaos, <laughs> um, which basically is what I want to do is the first two weeks of every month, the first two Thursdays, publish a video just like normal, like I always used to. So the first two Thursdays of every month, 5.15 a.m. Pacific time, video scheduled. Hopefully as time goes on, uh, they'll I'll even have them, you know, ready in advance, just like I used to. And that makes me feel like, it just makes me feel good. Like my boxes are checked, my everything's in order, the channel's taken care of, the thing I care so much about and have built over so many years is being taken care of. The second half of the month is I just need to publish a video. It can be one video, it could be 10 videos, just at least one video at some point in the second half of the month. Doesn't have to be on a Thursday, doesn't have to be whatever. This isn't like a, I'm not putting this very complicated schedule on my channel banner or anything. It's just a thing that I'm doing. Um, and that way it, it still opens up that window to, you know, spend more time with things, maybe even take a break to recharge if I want, focus on some other projects. Maybe there's even outside stuff like a client project or, or something that I want to work on that's not YouTube related. It would allow for more time like that. And so I have put together a giant physical calendar on a big whiteboard that I've had on my wall forever. And every every day this month is just marked out on like what it needs to be, when something needs to be published, when something needs to be filmed. Um, and then when there's nothing scheduled and it's just pure creative time, and then I can look at that production schedule, that physical tactile production schedule, take the important stuff and put it in my regular digital phone thing um, whenever I want. And that way I can see when I need, just at a glance, when I'm doing podcast episodes here, when I'm doing couples table, when we're doing um, stuff for my channel, when I am maybe want to do a live stream or a channel supporter update or something with a course, like everything is just right there. And it feels, I just feel like I have structure and purpose again. And that I really learned how important that is for me and the way my brain and my personality work. So I'm really excited to see how this, how this, how this works, (laughs) you know, how the, just the results of this. And uh, November will be the test month. I learned doing the no schedule thing that I need at least a few months, like you kind of need like three months at least to really figure out how you feel about it and, you know, go through some of the ups and downs. So I want to do this for at least, you know, three months or so, see how it goes. So far, like as soon as I figured it out and put it together and started getting things organized and publishing videos um, regularly, according to the, the calendar, I immediately started feeling so much better and so much less stress. And that has been huge. So I feel like it's, 
it's a cool thing for me. And it's just a good reminder that while there's all these best practices and all these advice and you can see other people doing things certain ways, so much of this kind of stuff really depends on what works for you specifically and what works for one person definitely might not work for another person. So next, let's move on to uh, talking about things that are not necessarily YouTube related. They're outside of YouTube land, sort of stuff that I or maybe Heather and I have been up to just in our lives, you know, like let's just let's just hang back and connect for a few minutes here and I'll share some stuff with you. So a big thing, as you probably know, if you've <laughs> talked to me or uh, seen any of my social media or anything is uh, hockey has become huge this year uh, and I have officially started playing on a league and we are into our season. Uh, we are currently the opposite of undefeated unvictorious uh our slogan is that we're the feel-good team because we really make other teams feel good when they play against us but it's been so much fun and the losing honestly doesn't matter each time we lose by a little less you know that's pretty good um and it's, it's been so much fun and this week we finally got our actual official jerseys in it was they were kind of delayed and so i'm so excited because our next game we all get to fully have our jerseys on so that's been crazy i've never played a team sport before um, even learning hockey this year and stuff, I've only gone to public skates and stick and puck sessions, nothing where it's like, it's a team and it's a schedule. And when the games are over, you, there's like a website you can log in and even see your stats, uh, which my save percentage currently is 69%, uh, not quite at the NHL level of like high eighties, low nineties percentage, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, it's just been so much fun though. Like I, I honestly can't even tell you because not even just playing the games, but learning the position. Like I finally have, as somebody who loves gear, uh, you know, camera gear and all this stuff, goalie gear is the most overwhelming amount of gear that I have ever dealt with because there are so many pieces to it, way more than even a regular hockey player's thing. And there's no overlap. So it's not like you can't, if you're a hockey player and you have that set up, all your pads and stuff, and you want to try goalie, none of them are the same. You have to get entirely new everything. And it's very expensive. So it's been, I've now been spending months like piecing together a setup, initially a lot of used things. And I've been replacing the used stuff as like, some of it is just disgusting and old. And some of it, like I kind of understand what I need versus this random used thing I found. So I now have a full non-used <laughs> setup, which is great. Um, and everything starting to feel like it's dialed in for me and my, you know, my size and my playing style and all that. So that has been really fun. And then practicing, you know, like getting not clearly as the numbers show, not good, but getting better, <laughs> not as terrible as I used to be, even though it's only going on month four of learning this specific position. Um, it's really cool. I'm trying to get as much. My goal this season, our hockey season runs through March is really to use it as as much of like a developmental training time as possible, like every game, but also every, you know, still taking some learn to play classes. Every time I go to a class or a public skate or a game, any time that it's just being on the ice, I want that to be like valuable practice time. And then I've also found two very cool um, like online courses, training courses, because there's no training camps or anything 
near us. And so it's cool. I found one that is like an on ice training. It's exercises and techniques for all the basic goalie stuff to do on the ice in your gear. And another one that's off ice training, which is almost like gym workouts and stuff for specific things, which is so cool as someone who's not been a sports person or an athletic person or anything to like, to try that stuff, to see improvements, to see like, oh, look, I am more flexible, more capable. This thing that used to hurt doesn't hurt anymore. That kind of stuff. Um, plus as I'm heading up near 40, I feel like it's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. And then, oh my God, the world of hockey bags. (laughs) As someone who's obsessed with camera bags, this has driven me insane. Uh, the good part is that hockey bags, even the expensive ones compared to camera bags are cheap. So I, when I started learning how to do basic hockey player stuff, I got what I think is the best one. It's from a brand called Pacific Rink. The bags are so nice. They're, they're super organized. They're kind of like camera bags. Most hockey bags are sort of big body bags that you just pile all your crap in and they get stinky and weird. These bags are really well made. Um, they're super organized. It's really nice. The the downside, oh, and they're, but they're very expensive because they're like 200, 250 bucks, which is not cheap. But, you know, that Peter McKinnon backpack was $450 or whatever. So it's like, Coming from the world of camera stuff, I was like, okay, even the premium hockey bag is is fine, especially if it's one that you can use for many, many, many years. Moving into goalie, however, they can't use the same bag because it's too small. So I, I like I have a bag that works, but the stuff is just too big and heavy that I really need a bag with wheels. I want a bag that can carry my stick on the side of it, can also keep my gear organized. Basically, the bag I'm looking for doesn't really exist for goalies because it's even more niche than camera stuff. So it's like the options are so limited. There's only a handful out there. And it's like, well, do you want any of these non-optimal options? So I'm constantly on the search for a new a new goalie bag, and that's that. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that has been the hockey experience. But it's been super fun. Um, Heather's been playing a lot. She's kind of had to, like, nurse this back injury, which has gotten better, and actually gotten better through playing more, like it kind of like helped it heal up a bit. And that has been super cool. We didn't have this in my area. Like up until our arena opened last year, we didn't have a professional sports team. There was no hockey rink within almost 100 miles of here, maybe 100 miles actually. So it wasn't a thing. And now it's like, there are adult leagues, there's a pro team, there's public skates, there's figure skating like classes and, and recitals. There's kids leagues, the local schools, like high schools and stuff, are now starting to start up hockey team. Like this stuff, kids, it wasn't even an option to do before. And now it's that rink from sunup to sundown every single day has so much stuff going on all the time. It is super cool. It's cool because it's ice. Cool as ice. Um, and so that has been super, that has been really cool. And then the community, like the the people that are on my team, the people that are in the classes, even the people that just go to the games of like our local pro team. It's been such a crazy like community, transformative community experience for our region that we've never had anything like it before. And it's, it's absolutely insane. It's been, you know, how hard it is to make new friends and stuff in your, in your thirties or beyond. This has been like a cheat code to that. Cause it's like, we just tons of new friends and, and people now. And it's, it's wild how many, how much overlap and stuff there is. So that has been amazing. And speaking of Vanilla Ice and our pro team, another thing, and I'm very curious if there's any opinions out there about this. 
late last season, we're season ticket members to our the the Coachella Valley Firebirds, our local hockey team. Partway through the season last year, it's always fun to get snacks when you go to a game. I was confused because especially in the wintertime, it's like freezing in there. And people were just walking around with these giant like ice cream cones. And I was like, why is it? And the line for the ice cream cart was like so long. I was like, why is everyone obsessed with ice cream? And it didn't even look like ice cream. It was soft serve. So finally, it just looked too good. I had to go try one. I like ice cream just fine. I'm not a huge ice cream soft serve guy. It's not like the thing I would choose number one. This soft serve was the best, the best tasting ice cream I've ever had. And now since then, I don't know when that was, sometime early this year, every time I go to a game, I have to, it's the first thing, like we walk in and I just go get the ice cream. It's like, it's to the point where when the season ended and so we didn't go into the arena and there were no games for like three or four months, the first time I went back, the people working the stand knew they're like, oh, you're getting like the regular thing again. It was, it's that bad. It's that, that much of an addiction, but it's so good. And the thing it's, uh, the brand is Mr. Softy, S-O-F-T-E-E, like softy. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that they exist in other places. I've heard they might even be an East coast U.S. thing. So I'm really curious if like, cause this just does not taste like anything else. I have even tried to rank other soft serves because this is like, it's like if you weren't into steak, you're like, I don't really like eating steak. And then suddenly you ate a steak and you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing I ever ate. And now I have to rank steaks everywhere I go because like it's become an obsession. That is um, kind of, that. that's kind of what this has been. So I, I was getting this at every game and then the 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 season ended. And so all throughout the summer, I was like, like an addict, like searching for a fix. So I went and I tried to rank things. I tried uh, soft serve ice cream everywhere I could find it. <laughs> and I found like my top five. And our the number two, the second best one I found is actually at our local zoo, <laughs> which thankfully we're also like seasoned members of. So uh, getting the ice cream at the zoo, totally worth it. There's a vegan restaurant near us that has like this dairy-free ice soft serve ice cream, soft serve specifically, not just ice cream, but I'm looking for soft serve, which apparently is a thing I love. And the one I get is normally a swirl of chocolate and vanilla, just doused in rainbow sprinkles. And they take the whole thing and they just, there's a huge tub of sprinkles and they just put the whole thing in there and like roll it around and it gets covered. It's so good. Um, so our, our local zoo has vanilla. It's really good. The vegan restaurant's good. Um, there's another local restaurant that's okay, but they put too much nuts on everything. And if you don't ask for it, that drives me nuts. And then there's Dairy Queen, <laughs> which opened up recently. And I was like, okay, this is what you're known for. And it's fine. It's good. But I don't have the like, I'm literally drooling right now thinking about the other one. So it's like, not only is that one number one, but it is so far above. And so after the summer ended, I kind of thought like when I went back into the arena, I was like, okay, I'm going to go get an ice cream. I've tried all these other ones. I haven't had this in months. Maybe it's not going to like live up to my memory. Maybe I built it up too much. And I tried it and I was like, oh my God, it's not even close. Like it's not even close. There's such a gap between first place and second place. Like, oh, it is so good. Anyway, I, where was I? I lost, I totally lost my train of thought thinking about this ice cream. 
So anyway, uh, I'm curious if anyone has any soft serve recommendations or if anyone knows about Mr. Softy and this weird legacy. And yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh, beyond that, as we're kind of heading up on the hour here, a couple other things to kind of catch up on. I've been working lately to try to re-piece together my synthesizer setup and some of my super early videos in the background. You can see I have like little synthesizers and sound sound boards and all this sort of stuff. Um, and the hard thing with those, they take up a lot of space. They create a lot of cables. They consume a lot of power. And so as my studio shifted to be so much more YouTube focused over the years, I sort of just took those down and they've kind of been in, not in storage, but just in a closet for a long time. But I had a dream a couple weeks ago that I had everything up and running and was making all this cool, like dawless music, meaning it's all just on those devices. I don't need to run through any computer software or anything. It's all like self-sustaining, self-recording, self-looping, everything. I really love that. Um, so I'm trying to piece that back together now. And uh, the the big thing that's holding me back is the place that they would go is kind of on my desk where I have my like older cameras on display, like the red cameras there, the old TV camera, the XL1 is there because those are, they look really cool there. And they're also really big cameras that just kind of don't fit anywhere else. So I, and I don't want to like, I like, they're amazing. They're some of my favorite things. I don't know how to like put them somewhere else or mount them on a wall or whatever, but I kind of need to take over that desk. So if you see in the future, if you see um, very interesting looking <laughs> like synth gear popping up in the background, which I think will look really cool on camera, that's what I'm trying to work on. We'll see how that happens. Uh, the other thing is, oh, Oh, going back to hockey, uh, one thing I really appreciate, speaking of comments and things, last week, there was a horrific accident in the UK at a hockey game where basically like everything went wrong and a pro player um, got his neck cut by a skate blade and died. And it's like incredibly tragic and terrifying. And I, there's just so much awful about it. What I do appreciate is how many people knowing that I and Heather have been interested in hockey have been sending us messages about making sure that we're wearing the proper like protective pads and neck protectors and all that kind of stuff. And it has been crazy if you try to buy a neck protector now, they're like sold out everywhere. So I wanted to thank everybody for for thinking of us and reaching out and making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. I also want to assure everyone, especially as as goalie, the amount of gear is is completely absurd, and it's all it's all protective gear. So it's not that you can't get hurt. Goalies get hurt all the time, but um, I have I have not taken any shortcuts to protective gear, and I've always worn a clavicle and neck protector. But I even did buy a like a bigger one, um, so that should be good. And Heather's um, everything is sold out, but she has I think it's it's pre-ordered or back-ordered or whatever, a, a player neck protector, which is really cool. And especially like, I mean, anybody, even at the pro level, like you should take care of yourself, but it's like, we're, we're not at the pro level. Like this is recreational. We want to stay happy and healthy. We don't want to get hurt. Even though our leagues are all non-checking, no contact, accidents happen. People, one of my favorite things about playing goalie is just being able to see the whole ice from my point of view and just see everyone wipe out for no reason all the time. Like there's a whole bunch of people in one corner going after the puck. And then someone who's just on the other corner just completely wipes out and does a barrel roll for like 
no reason. <laughs> That's great. Um, but staying safe, like, you know, sacrificing a little mobility and agility for extra protection is probably an important thing to do. So I just want to wish to reassure everybody who's been reaching out to us um, that while you can't ever prevent anything 100%, we are really, really trying to be as careful as possible because so many crazy things can happen. But uh, again, I appreciate the support. And then speaking of things that are also like, you know, that take planning and preparation and safety, I've also had a few people say, hey, how's your flight training going? I haven't heard about that in a while. And I did have to pause my flight training which makes me, well, I didn't have to. I chose to pause my flight training uh, last summer, last spring, because I just, I, it, something changed. I don't know what it was, um, if it was with me or it was with my school or what, but it just, I was really, it had gotten to a point where uh, if there was bad weather or something and like a flight had to get canceled, that I was excited about that. And I was like, okay, you know, Whenever it was a, an actual flying lesson, the way my my program went, it would kind of, we'd do like a classroom briefing, that would be a lesson. Then whatever concepts we covered, we'd do a, a simulator session or two, and then we'd do the actual flight. The actual flight training lessons were usually about $500, $550, very expensive. Um, so I was only, you know, I was doing one lesson a week, so it would usually be like you know, one week you do the classroom, next week you do a simulator, next week you do a flight. Sometimes you do two flights in a row. It's expensive. And, you know, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever done. And I had some of the most incredible experiences ever. But it's also I was spending a ton of money on something that I was just starting to feel that was more of an obligation. And I think a big part of it, which I didn't really want to admit to myself was I really love my flight school and my flight instructors. But in the the year that I was there, the school kind of changed and grew quite a bit and really is focused on like younger career commercial like airline pilots, people with ambitions to go work for the airlines. And so it's very much like they're going there full time. They're there five days a week. Like some people even come over from Europe to live. Actually, most of their clients come from Europe, stay here for like six to eight months, knock out like their basic certifications and then go back to jump into like to get hours to work at the airlines and stuff. And then me over here as like just person doing it for fun and recreationally, I didn't really fit into that, that kind of a schedule, which had never been a problem before, but it seemed like it kind of, you know, like as they brought in more administrators and things, it also meant I was having sort of less time one-on-one -on -one time with my two instructors who were and are absolutely amazing and great teachers. And I was getting then moved to like another instructor that I didn't really gel with that much. And it just kind of, it was just, I think that combined with, I was starting to feel the the financial pressure. And then I was, you know, like I was able to get over a fear of flying that I had doing this, which is great because you understand how planes work and understand all the, the procedures and safety precautions that are in order. But it was also, you know, it was hard for me to get past the idea that, I don't know, that I, I could make a mistake that could injure or kill many people. And I just, I just kind of got up in my head about it and wanted to just kind of pause it a bit. And that was also at the time where it's like, oh, we're getting really into hockey. Okay. It's expensive too, but it's a heck of a lot cheaper than flight lessons. And even though there's still a chance for injury and risk, it's kind of me, like I'm putting myself in jeopardy in my own choice, but I'm not. I'm not, you know, 
for the most part, responsible for anybody else's thing. It's fun. It's recreation. It was sort of, it kind of scratched the same itch for learning and trying something new, but was like a lot lower risk and a lot lower financial strain. So I kind of, I just decided to pause the training. The reason I say pause is because what's really cool about flight training is the hours you have never expire. So you have your logbook with all your hours. And even if I years go by and I wanted to jump into another flight school or even go back to this one, um, I could. And I probably need like one or two refresher flights and courses to to remember everything, get all the muscle memory going. But it's not that it's, it's not a quit for everything. It's just to like you pause it. And some, some people take 20 years to get their pilot's license. So I am sad that it's not something I'm working on, but it's also like I, I part of me wishes I was still doing it. But when it comes time to thinking like, oh yeah, do you want to hand over your credit card and pay for these lessons? No part of me wants to do that. So uh, I feel like, okay, it's probably the right choice for the time being. And then hopefully at some other point, I have plenty of hobbies in my life. I kind of know how things ebb and flow and, you know, maybe at some point in the future, things will change and that becomes, it becomes more practical and accessible again. So still got to do some really cool stuff. I reached a point right about where I was going to start solo flying and that was going to be pretty exciting, also a little bit terrifying. Um, And so I'm, I, I don't regret it at all. Like that's the thing is it was, worth every penny just to have the experience I had to, I got to, I mean, I got to do full flights. I know it wasn't solo flights, but where I did everything from getting there and pre-flighting and setting up the plane, planning all the, planning everything out, taxi, takeoff, all the in-flight stuff and landing. I never thought I'd get to do anything like that. Are you kidding me? Like learning to talk on the radio, learning to do all that kind of stuff it is so cool. And gaining a better understanding of an appreciation for aviation and for all of the the procedures and the the safety that goes into it and you know the standards that you hold yourself to there's so much there's so much in aviation and learning flight training and all that kind of stuff that that are just great lessons and kind of thought processes and mental checklists to just bring into every other part of your life as well so it's a hugely beneficial thing. And if if I never go back again, it was still worth it just for all of that. And if I ever want to go back to it, that would be cool too. So um, who knows? I guess, who knows? One thing I do know though, is that next week, I'm also going to do a special episode. We're going to do version two of something I started last season, which is called the AV Help Desk. So the audio video help desk, kind of a different spin on a Q&A episode because Q&A can be anything. You're like, what's your favorite TV show? What's the best camera? Whatever. The AV help desk was something I did last season where I asked people to send in more technical questions, like something that might take a little more digging, probably can't go through as many questions in the episode, but it's a lot more like, let's try to actually solve somebody's problem. Let's be tech support for somebody's problem because if somebody, if one person is having this problem, Lots of people are probably having this problem. Let's see if we can solve it for lots of people. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week. Uh, I hope, as long as people ask for support. Otherwise, I won't be doing it. Um, and that's another thing that I would love to be in the mix of episodes each season. Because I thought I think it was really cool. I had a lot of fun doing it last season. I, people got a, lot, got a lot of great feedback about it last season as well. So um, keep an eye out. I'll probably be pu- putting out a call for that on... 
uh, Instagram and probably YouTube community posts uh, at the middle of this week, if you're listening to this when it just came out, or you can just right now, if you have a question, you can go to HiMyNameIsTom.com, leave a voice message, or you can just email me, Tom at EnthusiasmProject.com, and I can um, include that in the next episode, and that will be super fun and super exciting. So that'll be AV Help Desk version 2.0, and that's going to be next week's episode. So in the meantime, thanks for listening to this. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the idea of a community podcast episode each season. I had a lot of fun getting to share sort of other things with you and other thought processes and sort of a hodgepodge of topics. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Let me know what you think, and I'd love to hear it. So I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week, and I'll see you next time.